Hi, everyone. As I said yesterday, I think it's going to take a bit of time before I can trust that we are live. Um, but as far as I can tell, we are. I've got a few different things. We're going to have a little countdown timer next week. Um, as you notice, we've just been able to work out how to get the background and then to bring me in. I'm excited today. Um, so I, I've got this, uh, obviously, my little overlay, which we will bring back up. But I don't need that for now because we have a co-host. This is our first guest of the show. But let me bring in my good friend. Hopefully need no introduction. But uh, here we go. Let's, uh, here he is. Hi, mate. How, How are you doing? How are we doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. My co-host for today. Now, let me try and work out how to get us both side by side. Now, we did this, <laughs> did this, <laughs> did this before without, without any problem. I can bring me into the little the side there. But now, where's my side by side gone? Um, it's all falling apart here on chewing it over already. Just put me in the corner. No, I don't want to. <laughs> so, I want to. There we there go. We go. There we go. Happy days. Right, that's better. I'm rocking. What a privilege to be the first guest as well. I know, I know. Well, it's uh, uh, the whole point is that we want to try and respond and react to, to things and talk about topical topics, but um, it's all well and good saying it's easy. Um, it's proofs in the pudding. It Was it easy to join us today, apart from me not being able to do that then? Yeah, yeah. Click the link. Click the link. That's what we like to hear. So therefore, it's going to be easy enough even to get people that might make a comment early in the show. We can even get them on for the latter part of it. It's going to be that quick, that easy, up to 10 people even. I think that's a bit busy. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, um, one of the, the, the key things really was to try and get you on to talk further the conversation from yesterday. It really was, um, I brought up the idea of sort of value around the uh, price point that people were worried about with first contact practice. But it, quite rightly, sort of moves to this concept of value generally for roles and things. And it was sort of really interesting discussion of which you contributed to. Mm. Um, what's, your, what's your sort of take on that in terms of professionals being valued in MSK practice? Yeah, so I, as I said to you, just as, as we were having a little chat before, I, I've been and looked at some numbers because I didn't want to come in ill-informed. Um, I think generally most people would agree that... Um, and it's probably universal across lots of different professions. People generally feel undervalued in the work. Um, but I think that's particularly pertinent in, in healthcare. Um, and I wouldn't single out necessarily MSK professions. I think it's something across all healthcare professions. Um, so can I, can I throw some numbers at you? Can we start there? Just I'm, excited, I'm excited that you did say So yeah, dish out some data. Right. So UK average salary, and this is regardless of profession, sector, any of that stuff, 26K in 2020 pre-pandemic, okay? And that is mean. Yeah, that's the average, yeah. Wow. The mean, right? Um, then when we go to look at by qualification level, and this, so this is medium, median, so it throws it a little bit, but median of a postgraduate is 42K, so someone with a master's or above, and a graduate 34, okay? So, just stopping there for a second, when you look at the amount of um, people in band five, band six roles that are earning below median salary for graduates, yet it's a profession where there's enhanced responsibility, registration, ongoing learning, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, the, the whole thing with value to society. Um, 
that that one's a little bit damning i feel and you can also look at starting graduate salaries which was another interesting thing to kind of go digging away at so starting graduate top one legal obviously 40k financial and professional services 30k digital and it 30k energy 27 all of them are higher um, and healthcare didn't even make the list <laughs> so there are more on there healthcare didn't make the list so you know i think when you look at it in the context of wider society definitely um undervalued so what i always think that people are going to get bored on this show particularly but even uh, followers of, of physio matters and me well, have heard me say this before, but I always break things down if I have to into two categories of analysis and then propose solution. And I want to get to the solution piece in a bit, but it's like on analysis, I'm not going to disagree with any of that data, but it's more that the, um, do you accept my point that I made yesterday about the relevance when analyzing these things as to understand the, the sector by sector piece does make a difference to not just the analysis, but also what we might propose as a solution. Now, it's not an excuse, by the way, because I'm yeah. mortified by that. I agree broadly on the uh, undervalued bit. But before we even get to solutions, I think the analysis, sometimes it gets missed, the fact that there is a relevance to MSK professions being cross-sector and that the, once, it's, once there's a majority within the public sector, it's a different kettle of fish than the market mechanisms that can affect wage labour. So this is the thing, isn't it? So public sector pay whether you're in healthcare, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a police officer, is a political football. Um, it's not based on any kind of value to society. It's not based on any kind of um, commercial value or supply and demand. It, it's purely a politically driven decision. And the, the option to say, give X percent pay rise to public sector workers, um, you know, can quite cause quite a stir. Um, and it becomes a touchy subject, and definitely that gets used because it's because that's the majority that gets used as the benchmark, doesn't it? In, in most cases. Well, what I it's funny because it's it's like what other mechanisms of which you know it's like it, how arbitrary is it? It's almost the minimum amount that the government could pay for people to still turn up and not go on strike every five minutes, right? It, it's almost like the because. Because that's the thing, you are consensually technically giving your, giving your labour up to a public sector job. But whilst that exists alongside uh, a private sector, means that the, the mechanisms are skewed compared to some of the other industries that we talked about. And, um, and you know, the legal profession was an example that you used on the chat yesterday, and I understand why yeah. you did. But it's just that it's, it, it's such a different animal when it comes to how not just society values it, but how it attributes value to it with regards to, to financial gain on salary. Because there's an absolutely relevant point, just for the sake of devil's advocacy here, that the, um, the, the public sector salary across uh, MSK professions, fair enough, but the, you know, the, 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 the leisure time given through annual leave or other perks, we've got my wife on maternity leave and obviously very appreciative of the, the benefits that come with that at the moment for, um, as you do, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but the opportunity, Charlotte being a full-time uh, NHS paediatric uh, specialist, um, that's, that is hugely, you know, that those benefits are significant in the public sector that have a cash value if we needed to. You know, if we needed to try and work that out, that's true, but don't do a disservice to the good private sector employers who who also provide excellent pension benefits, holidays, add-ons. They 
they do exist. I've never heard of it. I've never heard of parity there. I agree. I hope to think I am one, but I'm just meaning that in this instance, I've never, I've never heard. I mean, unless you, this is where you can correct me. Do you know of, of, of sports clubs and some of your Bazrap members that are, are privately employed or even any of you or your staff that, that have parity? I think sports clubs is a bit of a stretch. Um, <laughs> I don't know how you want to class um, academic institutions, but I certainly think universities are pretty, um, pretty fair on terms and comparable to public sector. Um, certainly personally, you know, um, comparable terms to public sector. So that's a mixed, that's a mixed, that's, that's a mixed economy as well, though, isn't it? It is education, the education and the parity that they have with regards to the way that that matches up with with holidays in teaching schedules and stuff. So I'm not, I'm not. That's not a. It doesn't discredit your point at all. I'm just meaning yeah. that I think if we just go like, just go like for like. I'm intrigued here because I don't know the answer, but it's just that. No, me I, I wasn't meaning to. In case you heard it there, that that I was sort of suggesting that there isn't um, that, that there's a the huge gulf as standard and that, that the private employers that don't give annual leave out as part of their contracts is, is not my point but it's more that the you know I, I'll admit and I remember it <laughs> I remember it especially when I, I mean it's different now I imagine if I was full-time in the NHS especially at the moment there's nothing more deserved than that, that time off don't get me wrong but yeah. I remember putting in applications to have leave bought off me by my bosses and stuff like I had more yeah. than I could take it felt excessive I, I felt lazy a different i'm a different animal now than i were in my mid-20s but it was just something that had to uh, leave coming out of my ears um this stuff certainly happens i mean I, i'll i'll take the example of, of my wife laura so laura is a community learning disability nurse for mft manchester foundation trust hmm. um and, and obviously we're currently availing of all the benefits of her working for the NHS because we've just had our little one. So maternity leave has been great, et cetera, et cetera. Now, prior to that, she used to work um, in a clinical role for Booper. And to be fair to Booper, not only was she on a much better salary than she would have been at in an equivalent level in the NHS and significantly better. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she was only like a few days worth of holiday short. She had excellent pension private healthcare for me and her, you know, so I, I'm kind of, I take the point and I definitely agree that some private sector employers will milk it for all they can get, um, but others won't. And I think there's a, because at the end of the day, staff wouldn't go. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that that's how the market plays, isn't it, at the moment? But what's your, well, let's get into some solutions then. It's to, in terms of the central value proposition of what, what we bring and how how we can then because it sounds like for the sake of this at least you know even when i'm trying to be devil's advocate it's like we i accept and agree that as a general rule the the, the patients that we see and the, the pain and suffering that they have and the way in which we, we can help them through rehabilitation to function better in their lives and society and getting back to work and getting participating and and also getting them to reduce their comorbidities it's a, a huge cash value to society that i think is under recognized under respected and underpaid Cost, We're agreeing. Cost to work is it thirty-seven billion MSK? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Like Nothing but just stats coming at me. I can't, I can't keep, I can't keep up. It'll kill me if I've got that one wrong. No, absolutely. Thinking, thinking back, it's a big number. The cost, 
the cost of the economy from work days lost to MSK yeah. is massive. Yeah, it's massive. Absolutely, it should be it should be a summit that's wielded more than it is um, in terms of justification for improvements in policy in our direction. Um, so, what though, when it comes to just to make sure we get back to that point about. Yeah undervalue and, and, and how we can stop those adverts that make us all wince going out. What do you feel are the key mechanisms for trying to correct for that? <clears throat> I mean, it's above my pay grade for a start, isn't it? But um, it, It's not going to change until the system starts failing, is it? And you could argue that we're probably nearly at that point now where we have so many vacant positions across various professions in the NHS that uh, you know systems are starting to struggle and, and ultimately patients are starting to struggle and and you then have to go so what's the solution so if we increase salaries improve working conditions the staff come back and can we improve services and etc but it's all centrally funded from taxpayers money so there has to be a policy change somewhere clearly a pay rise is needed what drives it I don't know what do you use What's the stick to poke the politicians with? Um, I don't know. I'm guessing that with uh, it, in the current climate, it would be the economical argument that would win through. So that, you know, cost saving to society, obviously long-term conditions is a flavor of the day, obesity. Um, can we keep people more active? Yes, we can. Can we reduce their risk of diabetes and being obese? Yes, we can. Um, so there's probably a few angles well, one of the things that, I mean, Paula's just made a really lovely point on the chat, and Paula, I'll, I will definitely be getting to that in a second, so um, do bear with me. But when it comes to um, you know, that, that bigger picture value and therefore all the price points is, is, is definitely one, one that you're making there. But when it comes to employers of all, across the board, really, the adverts that I'm on about is where someone is employing someone into what is a, a role or a title or a responsibility set that, that yeah. is being then put into of, of a, of a pay band if the NHS or just feels like the salary point is not recognised as being appropriate for the level of responsibility that yeah. is being taken on. And it feels like, you know, instinctively we look at it and subjectively we all feel like that seems a low, a low set of not just salary but also just other gains. It just feels like there's an imbalance there. Um, and And... When it comes to how, obviously, I spoke yesterday about how do we how do we write that um, feels difficult. And one of the one of the levers that we can pull, which is a poor lever, but it's one of the only ones we have, is that you know, we should be making the case that people shouldn't be applying into that. Yeah, that takes collective responsibility, though, doesn't it? Because if if eighty percent go, oh, we're not we're not applying. We still got twenty percent in the queue wanting the job, particularly for ones that are seen as uh, in some way prestigious. And, and I'm probably referring to sport there um but there's probably a responsibility on our shoulders as well and when i say our i'm referring to professional associations um and particularly those that are unions um you know that's kind of their job is to advocate for better working conditions for um their members and and it, it is a difficult thing to do uh, can you challenge everyone that you see probably not would you be successful with everyone that you see probably not but i think there's definitely a responsibility to try um, and that's something for me personally to reflect on with, with our team back at Basrat and, you know, how do we do that to advocate for our members and, and MSK clinicians across the board? And yeah. I'd like to think that other professional associations would be wanting to do the same for their members. 
Well, there's two there's two sides to that collective responsibility where it, it behaves as if individual choice to not apply, but then you need to do that en masse. It's that even if it was 90% and 10% didn't didn't tag along and therefore exploited the opportunity to therefore have a, 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 a shorter um, list or pile of, of applications. Mm. I'd say that there's just two sides to it. There's the, the act of, of not applying and therefore trying to have some solidarity with yourself and your colleagues to make sure we don't get undervalued. But then I would say the bit that's more contentious is the fact that when inevitably some do, and so they do recruit into that post, it's the fact that I think that it needs to the same collection of people that made that point to not apply or to make the point that you shouldn't need to also then, and it's difficult because even the language feels tough, but there needs to be an appropriate level of judgment applied to said individuals that do it and some degree of social consequence. Now, I'm not saying they should be pilloried or ridiculed or, or there should be anything nasty, but I'm just meaning that there should be some, some at least moral consequence to that whilst we don't have the other upstream mechanisms. And if the if the unions and societies and regulators can't necessarily or aren't doing anything in that direction, we are going to be suffering to the lowest common denominator there on those sorts of roles. And I do think, think there is a distinction between that and some of the sporting stuff, which I want to come to because Paul has made this lovely point. But, you know, do, do, you, do you get twitchy, as, as sometimes I do, over that next step where there needs to be almost a, a recognition that that role is less prestigious for those reasons we talked about? I guess so, but I'd be, I guess I'd be uncomfortable with, with passing moral judgment on individuals for taking a particular job role because everyone's got their own reasons. Um, what I'm more comfortable with is is publicly judging and calling out corporations and organisations that are willing to um, willing to put jobs out and hire people at their salaries. Um, that's definitely more acceptable. And if if it's that's being done with organisations that are bothered about their public image, um, then maybe it it would have an effect. Um, but it's not the way you'd want to go about it, is it? You'd want to go about it constructively and positively rather than kind of beating people with sticks. But um, I guess to a point, have we run out of options in, in that regard? Yeah, I, I just think that, of course, it's of course it's simpler, it's easier, it feels more pleasant, you know, calling out a faceless, nameless corporation than it is an individual who may have good justification for doing it in that particular thing. But I think at least... At least asking them to justify it would be a smart move. I feel like we need that better. We need some level of accountability in the system. Now, I, yeah. want, to, I want to get to Paula's point because it's yeah. to, to your um, sporting side. Um, yeah. Now, it won't show the whole thing on screen, so I'll, I'll read it out. But, but Paula, Paula Clayton, obviously, many of you all know of her as uh, an established, a really well established and experienced sports physiotherapist and, and, and massage therapist, sports therapist, variety of uh, hats that she wears, no doubt. I chose to work there for the port. She was talking about elite sports. Sorry, there's a bit that missed yeah. this. So she worked in elite sport for many years, as we all know. She chose to work there for poor income because it gave me what I needed with regards to self-satisfaction, travel involvement, the other perks that you mentioned earlier. It's not for everyone, and it's not an easy ride. I had a job, I had job satisfaction, but also the luxury of running a private practice when home. Yeah. So that I had a private income. I don't agree with the salary options within the NHS, but what are the other options for newly qualified physios? How do we address the underpaid, undervalued situation? So a great contribution. But I just do want to thrash out with you a little bit this notion of the other added benefits, the reputational gains, the fact that by doing that for a period of time, underpaid, arguably, there might be other things that come downstream of that. So yeah. So general take. I, well, I've, from personal experience, so I've I've worked in professional sport and done so pro bono, um, 
and a bit like Paula, at the same time, I was running a, a private practice and the, the sporting organisation that I was working from, we were quite fortunate in that we were able to leverage their um, their reputation and, you know, the X thousand fans that we'd get at each game um, to give my business exposure. And that then indirectly kind of paid me and benefited me. Um, so, I, you know, I had, and I was early on in my business and early on in my career at that point. So there was there was other motivators other than what they were going to pay me. Um, and I also appreciate that people need to start somewhere. And although we don't agree with it or advocate for it from a, from a salary perspective, if that's how you're going to get experience that eventually gets you into a, you know, a well-paid job in sport, then sometimes you've got to do what you've got to do. And like Paula says, in, money isn't the only aspect. Yes, it's the only thing that buys you food in the supermarket. Um, I can't buy that with, with good vibes. Stash. Stash, yeah. Um, but, you know, certainly when I did it, so from experience, I had a great time. I made loads of friends. And so, yeah, pros and cons. Experience is important as well, isn't it? It definitely made me a better clinician. Uh, which in turn made me better in private practice. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I find it really fraught, this this issue, because I have to stop myself from succumbing to all of that logic in not... Pay, I, I know it sounds sounds funny, but especially with all the things we've got going on with Physio Matters and Therapy Live and, and, and MSKR and various other, other opportunities for experience, exposure using it as a leapfrog for CVs to other things. It's not mm. quite the same as professional sport, don't get me wrong, but for those that are interested, you can imagine just... And we do have a, a, a fantastic you know, voluntary workforce, and, 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 and that's great, but it's just that if we were to... If we, were to, we, we could be exploiting free labour if we were to have interns on contracts and obligations because that's the thing we have a voluntary team and network that opt in and opt out of various different tasks it's a different atmosphere than the actual contracted labor that, that also happens to be pro bono or voluntary it's that that it takes for a, a really it just feels like a real gray area because it just you know that this these are things that usually from, from companies that can certainly afford minimum wage at least, you know, to, which brings with it employment rights. And I just think that that's where I get, I get twitchy, you know, volunteering into projects that are super flexible, which have just sort of really deliverables that you can do as of when on your own time. Whereas yeah. the roles that, that I know we've all, we've all volunteered into, they often come with quite particular obligations and time commitments and professionalism. I just I feel like my my, my bias and, and even my politics suggest that I think that there should be a base a base level of, of, of money changing hands rather than just tracksuits. Yeah, and I'm, look, I'm not I'm not saying otherwise. I, I guess the point I was making is that I can definitely understand why it happens, um, and I've been there, I've done it. Now, yes, we need to move to a point where it's it's at least minimum wage. Obviously, we do. Um, because that's that's what's going to be better for the profession and that's what's going to be better for individuals. Um, how do you do it? It's the same thing, I think, isn't it? It's publicly shaming. And I, I've actually seen quite a bit of that going on recently as well. Um, I, got I got involved in one myself, um, partly through lack of understanding, but it was, you know, was it the head, head physio and head doc for uh, Team GB? 
went out the other week through IS and it was a voluntary role, um, but turned out that it was basically a secondment. So they were only really after anyone that already worked for EIS. Um, and you'd still get paid as long as they were happy to release you out of your contract. But hundreds of people jumped on it um, and hammered them. And I think maybe the more that happens, um, the more clubs will think about it before, before putting that out. Yeah, I think so. But it's also that that um, a bit clumsy, really, for when the facts of the matter weren't quite as accurate as what was presented in the in the advert. But also that. As you mentioned before, it doesn't you know, hundred people being outraged about it doesn't necessarily change the the matter. Um, so it's a it's a fascinating one. There's a really some lovely comments going on, and, and you know Gemma and, and Paula are making some really good points um, here around the, the sort of challenges and benefits here of uh, of being involved uh, sometimes to what would be considered underpaid and therefore in, uh, the associated undervalued. Now there is a real difference there that I think is worth us mentioning that. Being underpaid doesn't mean you're being undervalued, particularly locally to that, inst that instance. You could be a really highly valued member of staff, granted that he's then being underpaid, but that's how you prove your salt and then move into other roles within that that, that may be better paid. But it's kind of that it, it's it sometimes does come for the ride that that you that you're volunteering your time and therefore sometimes it's you you are naturally more disposable, quite literally more disposable, and that concerns me. Um, but I think. Um, on a, on a broader level, there is there are two conversations, I think. It is, it is different as to what we would do about it and how we analyse these sorts of things we're talking about compared to when a Band 8 job is advertised at Band 6 because they're just chancing it. Yeah. And therefore, there's a, there's a plucky aspiring Band 7, 8 that then takes it on as a 6th because that comes with a title and the right badge that then means they could potentially sidestep and it looks like a sidestep when actually it's a climb. These are relevant politicking between contracted businesses, and especially what was being shown on social media were examples where you know these were these were companies that were that were using and leveraging titles in a way that wasn't that was misleading, and that whilst not protected titles are things that come with an understanding socially within the professions that uh, that therefore you gotta you gotta make sure we catch that up and, and get that get that improved on. Um, We've only got a few minutes left, mate. Um, wanted to give you, uh, if you can, and I think just by throwing it out there, you might be able to frame some conversations, no doubt, next week. Yeah. What do you see as, and, and another thing that you've been working on recently is the um, ways in which NHS and private practice, we know that they are not appropriately linked and, and don't get the best out of each other. But in these times, we need to improve that. So I know it's not going to, we're not going to have time to get into it now, but what sort of... Uh, what do you see as being the optimal future for, for the sectors to interact better? So we so it's context specific because it's in it's in the frame of COVID recovery and, and currently NHS services still only kind of gradually creeping back, starting to see patients again. So we know that there's um, and this is from kind of professions linked into armor, so probably not the most accurate figure, but approximately fifteen thousand private practitioners um, in MSK across the UK. So big workforce there, um, and currently this massive backlog of people that have uh, missed operations, joint replacements, uh, have been developing MSK issues that should have been seen in secondary care and just haven't been able to because it's been shut, who are now seeking uh, private services. And we know that that's happening because there's feedback from practitioners across professions that 
they are seeing an increase in patients that would have otherwise had NHS services. Um, what we need to do is potentially try and formalise that a bit with uh, the public sector and try and have a, a mechanism in place whereby um, after appropriate triage, you know, whatever badge you want to put on that, um, the private sector becomes a vehicle for secondary care where secondary care capacity doesn't exist in a particular area. So um, the framework for actually doing that obviously needs bashing out, but the idea in principle, if it's acceptable, I think needs to be taken forward, um, especially in the, you know, the times we're in at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 the times mean that I'm more hopeful for that than I have been before, um, but it's something that there's, there's some weird flavours of snobbery that cut both ways, really. They, they, they don't communicate sometimes even on the same language, some therapists and managers and policymakers cross-sector, um, passing some serious judgment that, that's not accurate to the realities. But similarly, the, these are, whilst I'm hopeful, as I said, because of the timing, I do think there's such a fascinating thing that the, if imagined for a couple of years, we'd, we'd managed to correct for some of the uh, reduced, we'd reduced the unwarranted variation and there wasn't such a scale and scope across MSK practice that's not an interest in diversity, but it's just like a, from, from nonsense to, to sense, right? If we'd have sorted that out, it'd feel like it'd be a smoother transition, but I'm kind of concerned the fact that we haven't, it just feels like the, that, that it could open a can of worms. And, and, and if we got it wrong in this, in this instance, it'd be really hard. It'd be many, many years until we got to the, got nearer to what would be sensible co-working between sectors so whilst i'm hopeful and i think that those tests and pilots need to happen um and i, I agree that they will do yeah let's let's not pretend it's not gonna have its challenges there's a whole host of things that any particular framework would need to address um not least the issue of access yeah um, absolutely and, and fair access for everybody no doubt we will be chewing that over plenty of times in, in, in weeks to come. Thank you so much for your time today, mate, for coming on and co-hosting with me. Um, I'm going to try and do a fancy exit. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clear you off. Wave goodbye. Um, Ollie, Ollie will be back. Thanks for coming. Good. Cut him off as he was saying by that. That was rude. Um, but, right, so... This is me trying to do a fancy exit. I'm trying to keep to time. It looks like half an hour to me. Um, thank you all for joining. And what I will do is I'm just testing this as, a, as, a, as an exit because we're going to try and get a little countdown video and stuff. So I'm going to try and count myself out using what is the stock countdown. I don't know why, but it's a 27-second countdown. But thank you for joining. Uh, this has been our first week. We missed one. We've had three on the bounce that seem to all work well. And so I'll be seeing you next Monday for more chewing it over. So take care.